Okay, let's go to session six. Now I'm going to try to get to some practical things about receiving and the nature of tongues and so forth. What do we make of people who sometimes are referred to as chronic seekers? Always looking and never receiving tongues. What do we make of this? It's frustrating to a lot of people. Like you're hearing all of this, oh, I love to speak in tongues, and boy, I'm missing out if I don't, and edifies me, and opens the door to the supernatural, and, and how do I get this? There are many people who seek divine endowment, but always seem to fall short. They have experiences. The presence of God is all over them. Some of them fall on the floor. Some of them shake. But they just don't go in tongues. You know, always seem, they, they yearn, but they never break through. What do I do with this? Do all need to speak in tongues as evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Some would say yes, some would say no. There are people who teach that, oh, you don't have to speak in tongues as evidence of you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some people, upon hearing that, object very strongly. Uh, that's just an excuse for people not breaking through. And, you know, and they just need to break through a little harder. My personal conviction is this. There's always a charismatic dimension to the Holy Spirit. You can't encounter the Holy Spirit without some sort of charismatic dimension. You know, uh, New Testament overwhelmingly testifies of this. Speaking in tongues is certainly very common, but I cannot see any verse that demands that you must speak in tongues as evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues is one of several gifts. There's diversity of gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, I don't want to stop there. I want to urge every person to press through. I have seen people with the Spirit come upon them, obviously, but they don't speak in tongues. They, yet they are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to urge everybody to press in on this issue Paul wishes that they all spoke in tongues. And I'm going to make his wish my wish. I wish that you would all speak in tongues. And I wish you would all learn to prophesy. Do both. I really do. I have researched this question with people who have great experience, teachers of past generations who've grappled with this. And here's what I can find in my research. I'll give you five reasons why some people don't break through. And none of these five might apply to any of you. But I'll give you five reasons why some people don't break through. One is tradition. Simply a religious prejudice has been built up in your mind. Tradition stops some people. Secondly, condemnation. Some people just never see themselves worthy. 
I'm not worthy. You, you have a tendency to, to magnify your faults, have a tendency, well, I'm just, who am I? You know, I'm just, uh, it's condemnation, just not a sense of being worthy. It's almost a false humility. You're never good enough. And you know what? That's the truth. You'll never be good enough. This is a gift. It is a gift, and it is not dependent upon you feeling worthy or not. That's got nothing to do with it. Another reason is fear. I really can't open up because I'm afraid of what I'll get. Jesus dealt with that in Luke 11. You know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him. Uh, here's, here's a fourth one. Pride. Pride. You're going to, it's beneath your dignity. I don't want this Pentecost stuff. I don't want to fall on the floor. That is nothing but pride. If Jesus could humble himself to be born in the barn, what's wrong with you falling on the floor? I'm glad Jesus didn't take such an attitude. It's just pride beneath your dignity. I don't want to be put on display. All I can say is get over it. Also, and I'm going to deal with this one more than the others, an ignorance of how the Holy Spirit works. An ignorance of how the Holy Spirit works. This one is epidemic. Every gift of the Spirit demands the cooperation of God and man together. Every gift of the Spirit demands the cooperation of God and man together. No gift will operate without your full participation. No gift will operate without your full participation. For instance, if we talk about the gift of faith, the Holy Spirit can give a witness of great faith. But just because the Holy Spirit has given that witness, and sometimes, like if I talk from my own perspective, I can feel that faith rising up on the inside of me and rising up. And sometimes I feel like, where are you, Goliath? You're going down. You know, it just rises up and rises up and rises up. Don't you tell me it can't be done. It will be done. Far exceedingly above all you can ask or think, it will be done. Don't you dare tell me it's impossible. All things are possible. And I know that I know that I know that I know that I know it. Don't you dare get in my way. You're coming down, Goliath. You know, sometimes there's this aggressiveness that would rise up on the inside of me, this, this gift of faith. But for to that faith to be released out of my life, I have to cooperate with it. I can reject it. No, that's not me. I could just respond, no matter how much I feel, I could respond with unbelief. Or, no matter how strong that witness is, I might respond in fear or doubt. Or the best thing is just go with it. Just go with it. You know, God will do his part in, in giving that gift, creating that anointing. But I have to do my part in operating with it and releasing it. It doesn't happen one without the other. 
Every gift works on this principle. It's God cooperating with you. God doesn't do it without you, and you don't do it without God. It is a part, every gift is a partnership between you and God working together. Let me just explain the concept of, of gift. Because when I use the word gift, people can have different ideas of what that word means. Let me give you two wrong definitions followed by the, the right definition. A wrong definition of gift when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit as if somebody has left you a legacy. You know, you've been named in somebody's will. You know, and God has given you a gift. That's the wrong concept when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. That's not right. Because if you receive a gift in a legacy, it's entirely up to you to do with it whatever you want and you're unaccountable to anybody in what you do with it. All right, The gifts of the Spirit are not given to you as a legacy. Okay. Secondly, uh, a wrong view of the gift is all the initiative is with the Holy Spirit and you are a passive member. That's also wrong. All the initiative is with the Holy Spirit and you are just passive. No. If that's the case, then I put you on par with Balaam's donkey. No responsibility. That also is wrong. Every gift of the Spirit is viewed this way. God gives the gift, provides the anointing, and you are an active partner in the manifestation of that gift. God provides the anointing, but you are an active partner in the manifestation of that gift. You are not a figurehead. You are not a passive instrument. You are an active partner in the manifestation of that gift. In other words, the Holy Spirit works together with your human responsibility. The Holy Spirit works together with your human responsibility. If you don't understand that, then when people get out of line, they'll never receive correction. Oh, I couldn't help myself. Well, yes, you could. I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Operation of the gifts are clearly in your hands. 1 Corinthians 14.32 the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, which means the manner in which it is manifest is under your control. The timing in which it is manifest is under your control. And the proper exercise of it is under your control. The freedom of your human will is entirely unimpaired. You don't lose the ability to function. You don't lose the ability to choose. You don't lose the control over your own will. You are not a medium. You are a vessel. Big difference. You're not a medium. You are a vessel. You will not lose your own personality. You will be entirely conscious. And your will, thought, and feeling will be fully active. 
You don't lose any of that when the Holy Spirit flows through you. He works through you, not in spite of you. Therefore, when you prophesy, you might give the same message as I would give, but it will come out very different. It will come out according to your personality. The words you would use might be different than the words I would use, but it's the same thought. How you say it, the manner, you might say it like a machine gun. I might say it very slowly. That's, that's your choice. I'm not forced to rattle off like a machine gun. No, I'm entirely in control. We have to learn to flow. And this is a learned thing. We learn to flow with the Holy Spirit. So you don't receive the gift in the sense of you're an owner. You are a steward. You manage that which belongs to somebody else. Let's go back now to our chronic seekers. People who really want to move into this but seem to have trouble. In researching people who have helped what we call chronic seekers, here's the advice that seems to have worked very, very well. How did Peter walk on water? You know what he did? He got out of the boat. Peter did nothing supernatural. He had walked all his life. He did nothing supernatural. He continued to walk. It is God who did the supernatural thing. God kept him on the water. But as far as Peter was concerned, all he was doing was walking. Nothing extraordinary to the man. He walked. God did the miraculous part. Peter did the natural part. It's a cooperation of the Spirit of God and the man. He simply put one foot in front of another. The Lord had said, Come! All Peter had to do was respond and obey. He did what was natural to him, which was to walk. God did the supernatural part, which is keep him on top of the water. When it comes to speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit is not going to speak for you. You have to open your mouth and start talking. He will provide the words as you talk. Don't wait for him to force tongues out of you. You open your mouth and talk. And expect God to fill you as you do it. Just like Peter had to get walking out of the boat. In other words, you do the speaking and the Holy Spirit will give you the words. We ask to be filled. By faith we receive what God gives. Then you open your mouth to speak, but don't speak in English. Don't speak in your native tongue. You have to trust God to give you the words even as you speak forth. For some, they begin with stammering lips. Others will speak fluently. It's wrong to compare yourself against somebody else's experience because God is not going to override your personality. And if your personality is different than mine, then your manifestation of a gift is probably going to be different than mine as well. 
Some people are exuberant by nature. Others are quiet. Some are prepared more in their heart. Some are more desperate. Some have simply yielded. Others have fought against conviction for years before yielding to the Lord. Very simple. You ask, and you open your mouth, and you speak. But don't speak English. How do I do it? Get out of the boat and walk. In other words, an act of faith on our part. Once any gift is received and it begins to be manifest, then it has to be used and exercised. Even so, speaking with tongues. The more you choose to exercise the gift, the more confident and fluent you would become. You have to grow in your use of the gift. Now, you might say that sounds too simple. I want to give you personal testimony. That's my story. That's my story. People prayed for me as a young teenager to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were shandala handala all around me, laying hands on me. I was 14 years old, 13, somewhere back then, a long time ago now. And nothing happening, you know. They all went away to pray for somebody else. And I made a decision. I'm just going to speak in tongues. And I opened my mouth and did so. There's a person who said, nah, no, not work. Nope. Can't. I'm not that simple. And so he's going to prove it wasn't that simple. So he opened his mouth and he just blurted out whatever came out of him. He says, there. I just made all that up. Until somebody in the back room said, do you realize you just spoke in perfect Chinese and I'm from China? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. But aren't you supposed to have an emotional experience? Aren't you supposed to have some physical sensation? Well, man is emotional. Most often people want to talk about joy associated in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, there's no scripture to teach that emotion or joy is evidence that you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's lots of scripture that talks about you having joy before being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't, don't go with joy. Many people, innocently enough, want to share their experience, what happened to them. Oh, the great joy that I have, the great thrill that I had. Well, thank God you had it, but don't use that as a template by which you measure other people. That's the wrong thing to do. It may happen to some people that way, but it's not the pattern. So say you can have great joy without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, what about physical sensations falling on the floor? Or some people talk about, I felt like a great electric current went through me. Or a sensation of fire. Or this intensity of heat. Some fall on the floor. Some see a bright light. Some even hear God audibly. It happens to some. But never again is it suggested in Scripture that's a template by which you judge other people. Throughout the scripture you can find various examples of people being physically affected by an encounter with the power of God. Absolutely. But not everybody has that reaction. I don't. I could be very calm physically without responses of that kind. It can happen to some 
But it's a lot to do with our personalities and our makeup, our own personal DNA. Whether you speak in tongues initially or not, my advice is to press forward to seeking God that you may have the blessing. That would be my advice. Let me give you three principles to encourage you in seeking. First principle is found in Matthew 12:34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The infilling is supernatural. The overflow of the heart should come through your mouth. You know, if your heart is full of joy, I should hear it in your speech. If your heart is full of pessimism and negative, you'll believe me, it'll come out of your mouth. You know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and fill you and fill you. It'll flow. I mean, English will not suffice. There's so much more. A second principle, Romans 6.13, we're told to surrender our members to God. James 3 and verse 8 says there's one member in particular that people find almost impossible to control. Guess what member that would be? (laughs) The most unruly member of all is the tongue. Isn't it neat that God will give you a new tongue? Isn't it neat that God will give you a new tongue? Get your tongue saved. Come on. And here's a third reason I would like to encourage people. And that is to emphasize the Holy Spirit is a person. Not just a power. Not just an influence. Now listen to this. For the first time in history, on the day of Pentecost... He's taken up residence in a new temple. You know what that temple is? It's your body. For the first time in history, the Holy Spirit is a person and people speak. And He lives in you. Let Him speak. Let Him speak. Maybe this is why speaking in tongues is distinct in the New Testament. The person of the Holy Spirit is now actually dwelling for the first time in history in redeemed humanity. As a person, he communicates and he speaks. For the first time in history, and thus unique to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit pervades. The Holy Spirit permeates. The Holy Spirit fills. The Holy Spirit identifies with. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Your body is the dwelling place, the home of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been infused into human nature. And now, because He's infused in you, let Him speak. Let Him speak. Let Him express Himself through you with His language, through tongues. Wow. A heavenly reality has been given an earthly evidence. Can I invent a word? 
You have been pneumatized. What's that mean? Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. You have been spiritized, pneumatized. What a wonderful thought that is. Let me go back now, and I want to consider preparing your heart. I'm going to ask some questions. Why do people have powerful experiences? Why do people have not-so-powerful experiences? I want to talk about the necessity of preparing your heart. Some people are disappointed by their experience. Is that all there is to it? Some people have overwhelming experiences. I don't want you to be disappointed in your experience with the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit should be a continuous unfolding into richer and fuller experiences. It should be a continuous unfolding. If you go to Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12, there's a river that flows out of the temple of God. And you know what? The more you go, the deeper it gets. And your life in the Spirit should be getting deeper, fuller, and richer. You're not going to start in the deep end. All right? Did you get that? You're not starting in the deep end. You start maybe up to your ankles. But you keep walking in it, and the more you walk in it, the deeper it's going to get. The fuller it's going to get. So don't be too discouraged if your initial experience isn't as overwhelming as Paul the Apostle's was. You know why Paul the Apostle's initial experience was overwhelming? is because he used to be Saul of Tarsus. And you know what? He resisted and 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 resisted. And when finally he yielded, he was already in the deep end. Don't compare yourself with him. Don't compare yourself with others. Lydia says in Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart. Very simple. You know, so there's, there's a fuller realm. You'll never exhaust this. You just keep walking deeper in the things of the Spirit. Let me identify three different groups to people about how their hearts are prepared. There are, group number one, I'm going to describe these people who experience very little difference in their lives after their Pentecostal experience. Very little difference in their lives after their Pentecostal experience. For the leaders who observe this trend, what ha- they would say this, people have a genuine experience, sure enough. But after the experience they tend to allow doubt, fear, or unbelief paralyze them. You let doubt, fear, or unbelief paralyze your growth. You've had a real experience, but you never get beyond an initial experience. Why? Because of this thing called doubt, fear, or unbelief that's in your heart. There's only one thing I can say about that, and that is get over it. Declare war on fear. Declare war on unbelief 
and declare war on doubt and never treat those things lightly. They will paralyze your life for the rest of your life. Get over it. Doesn't sound very compassionate, but get over it. You've got to get over it. Never underestimate the need for your faith to be alive and aggressive. How many times in the Gospels does Jesus emphasize the aggressive nature of faith? And how many times does Jesus rebuke for fear, doubt, and unbelief? Don't allow yourself to be paralyzed after you have experience with God. Because you may have genuine experience, but fear, doubt, and unbelief will cause you to show almost no difference in your life after the fact. Sometimes people have disappointing experiences because when we're praying for someone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we emphasize tongues more than we emphasize the Holy Spirit. As if tongues was the issue. Speaking in tongues does not bring the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings speaking in tongues. You know, the goal is not to speak in tongues. The goal is to be so full of the Holy Ghost that you can't contain yourself. All right? There's a second group of people. I've addressed the first one. A second group of people are those who receive the gifts of the Spirit, but they're terrible in their character. They evidence little fruit of the Spirit. They evidence little character, and yet they're prophesying. And then they go home and throw dishes at the wife when they go home. They prophesy in church, but they argue behind closed doors. Such people do more harm to the Pentecostal testimony than all the critics. Than all the critics. Matter of fact, this is the very issue that Paul is tackling in the Corinthian letter. You speak in tongues, but you are carnal, carnal, carnal. I can't speak to you as spiritual. I can't feed you any meat. I've got to feed you with milk. Aren't you yet carnal? Or why are you so ignorant of so many things? You've been in church for how long? And you're all speaking in tongues. But your character is pathetic. There's something horribly wrong, radically wrong, with experiences where people have received gifts, but they can't pursue holiness in their life. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. At true regeneration, the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in your heart to develop fruit. Pentecostal experience is to bring you into the dynamic power of God. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture are you ever offered you can have one without the other. It does not say have fruit at the expense of gifts. And it does not say have gifts at the expense of fruit. Both are works of the Holy Spirit. But if what happens, if you operate a gift of the Spirit and you do not pursue holiness in your life, what will happen is that you, your life will become hollow and empty and your, your, your ministry of the gifts will be sounding brass. It'll be, you'll be disappointed in your exercise of the gifts because you have neglected growing in the Lord. You've neglected communion with the Lord. 
Gifts of the Spirit will never replace your need to walk with God. They'll never replace your need to walk with God. Speaking in tongues might be a sign that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's certainly not a sign that you're walking with God. It's a sign you had an experience, but it's not a sign that you're walking with God. The real test of spirituality is not how you're performing in public, but what it's like when the doors of your house are closed. That's the true test. Now I'm going to address a third group of people. The third group of people is you have gifts of the Spirit and you have fruit of the Spirit, but it seems to evidence no real power anyway. You can prophesy and you have a good marriage, a good family, but where's the power? Your experience is genuine, but there's no real effectiveness. It's one thing to be filled with the Spirit, it's another to walk in the power of the Spirit. I preach a message many times about Jesus in the wilderness. Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Luke 4 verse 14, it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now here's an important lesson. Even after God has granted you gifts of the Spirit, you still need to wait on God. That is the plain teaching in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. You need to wait. You need to develop. You need to wait on God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not do away with the need for hard work. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a labor-saving device. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an excuse for you not to have a prayer life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an excuse for you to not study your Bible. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an excuse for you to be in relationship with other people to learn. It's not a labor-saving device, this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of people who don't wait on the Lord for the development of their gift. There are people who don't wait on the Lord to develop their walk with the Lord. There are people who don't walk further in that river of God. They don't press in. They don't seek. They don't ask for fuller manifestations. So often what has happened, we end up with this experience. Let me describe what often happens. There is, for lack of a better word, let me say, a low-grade manifestation of the gifts. The gifts, as they are manifested, are poorly done. Poorly done. A failure to develop the gifting fully and to mature in the gifts leaves the church disgruntled with the whole experience, which makes almost no difference to the life of the church. Nothing changes after the manifestation. For all the times that God has spoken words of prophecies, ten years later, the church hasn't changed a bit. Still going on as it used to go, no matter how many times God speaks. Nothing changes. Duh. Then why have God speak at all? If we're not going to change when he talks to us. Why? Why bother? Let's become non-Pentecostal. 
Are we so disgruntled and there's no authority and there's no power, there's no persuasiveness, there's no effectiveness to the whole thing. So, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what happens. There would be those who would tend to think the church would be better off if we didn't have these manifestations. Because nothing really changes. Because of gifts that are exercised so poorly, making no impression, people get genuinely confused or bewildered at their place and their function because they don't make any difference. So there's no pursuit, there's no pressing in because we don't see them making any difference anyway. So the response to that is you and I are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in manifesting these gifts. You and I, after receiving, must not be lazy. And don't expect the anointing to make up for what you're responsible for. After you've been baptized and after you do have gifts of the Spirit, you must seek God. You must draw near to Him in prayer. You must bury yourself in the Scriptures. In other words, if you want the fire to keep burning, throw some more wood on the fire. God will send the fire, but you've got to keep it burning by throwing more wood on it. We've got to develop these gifts. To grow in power so that your gift becomes effective and a powerful witness requires the discipline of the cross in your daily life. The outflow of the Spirit depends on the death to self you embrace. If you're not very dead to yourself, then there's not going to be a whole lot of effectiveness come out of your manifestation of a gift. Jesus chose the cross when he was in the wilderness. He chose not to do anything for himself, unto himself, of himself. He chose to be a servant. That's what made him powerful in the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Let nobody think that a fullness of Pentecostal ministry can occur when a church seeks a life of ease. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take cost. It's going to take prayer meetings. It's going to take Bible studies. It's going to take allowing yourself to be inconvenienced. There is a cost to it. So the heart has to be prepared to receive. So let me just give you some things that the Bible says. In order to receive, obviously we have to surrender to God. The Bible says, ask, seek, and knock when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, and knock. You're responsible. If we're going to be lazy and asking, seeking, and knocking, don't think you'll receive anything. You've got to ask, you've got to seek, you know. It talks about being thirsty. It talks about drinking. It talks about yielding. It talks about earnestly desiring. It talks about setting our heart on things that are above. These are our responsibilities in this. Perhaps the most major thing to recognize is that you receive by grace through faith. And everything's by grace. Don't tell me you're not worthy. We're not based, receiving on the basis of whether you're worthy or not. It's by grace. 
by grace through faith. Often it's our human heads that stand in the way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, verse 5, Receive ye the Spirit by faith or by the works of the law. He that ministers to you the Spirit, does he do it by the works of the law or by faith? Faith, faith, faith. It's by grace through faith. Now, your heart needs to be prepared to receive. When I teach through the Beatitudes, you know, and you've heard me do that, it's about the God working at the heart and preparing the heart. Please, we don't take God in a casual manner. Don't come to church in a casual manner. And don't go to a prayer meeting in a casual manner. And don't go seeking God in a casual manner. Don't take God casually. On the day of Pentecost, people didn't offer a casual message to the people. He said they need to be repent. And they need to be baptized in water as preparation for receiving the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said before the Holy Spirit, repent. There was a a repentance that prepared the heart to receive the Holy Spirit. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, John the Baptist preached. Jehoshaphat. In Second Chronicles 19.3, and just write these down because I won't take the time to read the stories. Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 19.3 prepared his heart. In chapter 20 and verse 3, again he is preparing his heart. A king by the name of Jotham, Second Chronicles 27 and verse 6, prepared his heart. In Acts 5 and verse 32, The Apostle said, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey the gospel. In other words, those who have submitted to the truth are the ones who will receive the Holy Spirit. Do you have to wait? Do we have to tarry? Well, yes and no. And I'll give you why yes and why no. No, because the day of Pentecost has already come and gone, and the Holy Spirit is already here, and the Holy Spirit is already poured out. When hearts are ready, the blessing can come without delay. The key is the condition of the heart. Waiting before God sometimes is necessary, not waiting on God's timing, but to change your heart. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Hezekiah is an amazing example. If you would read Second Chronicles chapter 29, the entire chapter, you're going to see what happens when people prepare for the things of the Lord. Read the whole chapter. Second Chronicles 29. But I want you to notice the last verse, verse 36, that after their hearts have been prepared, been prepared, everything happens suddenly. But the issue is the heart. Saul of Tarsus had three days between the Damascus and when Ananias went to him. And three days, it was soul-searching, soul-searching, soul-searching. His reception was instant after three days of soul-searching. Cornelius in Acts 10 instantly received. No waiting. But he had well prepared his heart by prayers, fastings, and alms. That's evident. 
Let me give you some further advice in addition to what I've already said to help people break through. One, recognize that God has already given the Holy Spirit. The issue is not whether God will give. The issue is will the believer receive. There's no need to beg God to do what he's already done because the day of Pentecost is past tense. No need to beg God to do what he's already done. He's already poured out the Holy Spirit. Already done it. Expect that when somebody lays hands on you that you will receive the Holy Spirit. There are people who are gifted Again, it's a manifestation of a gift of faith who are gifted by laying hands upon other people. And when you lay hands on other people, there's a gift of faith that rises in that person that somehow spills over on the other person. And they're just lifted. And often they'll fall on the floor or they'll sense something within themselves or sometimes there's no manifestation outwardly, but there's a faith that is imparted. Expect that when hands are laid on you, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. I'm now just repeating something I said. You have to do the talking. God's not going to start moving your jaw for you. You have to do the talking. You have to make that step of faith and open your mouth and make some sound. Some people it happens so spontaneously, don't even think about it. Other people, because of the makeup, have just got to make the decision. Okay, I'm going to do this. I might have to do it in the back house where nobody's looking, I'm all by myself, I'm going to do it. And you're just going to make the decision, you're going to do it. You do the speaking, the Holy Spirit will give you the words, but not until you open your mouth and you start talking. Some people that's very awkward, other people start talking, they don't even know what they're doing. Personalities again. Another thing I would say, you have to throw fear away. Make a decision to throw fear out of your life. That is your choice. Oh, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Oh, I don't know if I can just throw Yes, you can. You can make the choice and you can throw it out. It's up to you. Make the choice. Throw it out. You're not going to receive a scorpion when you ask for bread. Another thing I would say, you may have to be reckless in beginning to speak no matter how foolish it seems to you. You might have to make the decision to be reckless about it. Is there a verse in Psalms, Open wide thy mouth and I will fill it? I think it's Psalm 81.10. Jeremiah 29.23, actually, not Jeremiah, sorry, Job 29.23, kind of says, I open my wealth wide for the latter rain. Open your mouth and God will fill it. Another thing I would say, don't have a large crowd around you. Everybody likes to give you instructions. More Lord, more Lord, yes Lord, give it to them, yes. And, and you got this, and somebody's shouting in this ear, and somebody's shouting in that ear, and somebody's shaking you like this. You know, have you seen it? You've been to those meetings? Forget it. It's better to have a few people around who are softly speaking in tongues around you. That will do more to create an atmosphere of faith for you than, than uh, anything else. You know, Often the Holy Spirit is received through the laying on of hands by, body, by somebody who's been anointed with the gift of faith. Often that happens. 
If I have a gift of faith, then when it operates, I'll be able to lay hands upon other people and they will experience the, the blessing of the Lord. However, you don't have to receive with somebody laying hands on you. There are people who are gifted with that. Uh, but there's people like Cornelius uh, who receive without anybody laying hands upon them. At the end of the day, people laid hands on me and they didn't have that gift of faith, but they were going to shout in my ear and whatever else. And, and uh, I received by being reckless, foolish, open my mouth, and just beginning to talk with nobody laying hands on me. Uh, whatsoever. It's an act of faith. Get out of the boat and walk. Open your mouth and talk. And realize that you might not be talking in the deep end of the pool. You might start shallow. But you just keep pushing and keep pushing and the river gets deeper as you keep walking in it. Keep pressing in the more perfect manifestations of what God wants to give you. Does everybody receive the same measure of the Holy Spirit? Some people see powerful anointings, others not so powerful. John chapter 3 and verse 34 suggests the answer to that question is no. Not everybody receives the same measure, same dimensions of the Holy Spirit. John 3.34 says Jesus received the Spirit without measure, implying other peoples did receive the Spirit with a measure. Romans 12.3, God has dealt the measure of faith. There's a measure to every man. Ephesians 4.7, the measure of the grace of Christ in giving out gifts. Not everybody receives the same gifts and not everybody receives the same measure. It would seem that in the Old Testament, Moses experienced the Holy Spirit without measure. But there were 70 elders that functioned under him that received the Spirit with a measure. You can read that in Numbers 11 and verse 25. Others received the Spirit in this manner. Samson experienced the Spirit from time to time. Elisha asked for a double portion. So there's concepts here, this wording would suggest different measures. The point is you can receive different measures. But now, what kind of a measure would you like to receive? There are two factors. How desperate are you? How desperate are you? What degree of faith and what degree of desire do you have? Is this a matter of life and death or can you live without it? How desperate are you? How well has your heart been prepared? Do you tend to be a passive person or have you learned to be aggressive in seeking God? Some people seem to stumble along, but because of perseverance, they finally make it. They finally overcome all hindrances. Other people are just in there like a, like a pit bull terrier after something, and other people just tend to be passive, you know. But the first factor is your own heart preparation. How hungry are you? How desirous are you? What price are you willing to pay? The other factor is um, who is laying hands on you? The person praying for you. You see, 
If I am laying hands upon people, what depth of anointing do I carry in my life? If I carry almost no anointing in my own life, in my own manifestation of gifts, then probably my laying hands on you is not going to do a whole lot. But if there's a great faith in me, then probably you'll receive in a greater measure. So there's two factors, the person praying for you and the condition of your own heart. Galatians 3.5, he that ministers to you the Spirit, or works miracles among you. So there are those who can minister to you the, the Spirit. Do all receive the same measure? Well, again, that depends upon your heart preparation. My conclusion... is that we need to be aggressive in seeking the things of God. We need to declare war on satisfaction and only be be satisfied when you're dissatisfied. What more? Deeper level. My conclusion is that we have been ignorant too long on many of these things. That we need instruction, we need teaching, we need encouragement. That we've been boxed in with culture and we've been boxed in with traditions to the point that we sometimes ignore the life of the Spirit entirely. I don't want to see people remain at this level of life where you are for the next year. I want to see progress in people's lives. If you're fearful this year, I don't want to see you fearful next year. You know, we need to break through. We need to press in. We need to change. We need to aggressively call out to the things for the things of God and, and seek Him. We all can improve in our experiences of life in the Spirit. We all need to understand that God wants to use everybody in gifts of the Spirit. You can all prophesy. I wish that you all speak in tongues. We all need to press through. We all need to seek God. We all need to learn about asking and seeking and knocking and drinking and yielding and setting our affection on things above. We all need aggressive faith. We all need practice. We all need to keep pushing in to the things of the Spirit. What's at stake if we don't? I'll tell you what's at stake if we don't. The salvation of a lost world is at stake. All we really, well, we can have, we've had church so long without this, you know, and we do really need these things. And, you know, they tend to create more controversy and, and clashes with this and that. And do we, hey, the salvation of the world is at stake. Why? Because witnessing to the world is done through gifts of the Spirit. Preparing you for the judgment day is done by gifts of the Spirit. Without the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, you haven't been told everything you need to stand before the Lord. Without the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, God isn't speaking into your life the things that are necessary to prepare you for the judgment. Without the gifts of the Spirit, who's going to reach the masses? The gift of healing. When it comes to the subject of healing, you know what we as Christians have done? We have changed healing into the comfort of the believer. And we only seek healing to comfort us who are believers. 
when the purpose of the gift of healing is the evangelism of the masses. And we've changed that which should evangelize the masses and we've turned it into our own comfort. How are you going to reach the masses? Gifts of the Spirit. How did Jesus know the woman at the well had five husbands? Gifts of the Spirit. How did Jesus know Lazarus was already dead? Gifts of the Spirit. How you and I be led in these things? Gifts of the Spirit. How are we going to demonstrate that Jesus is risen from the dead? By praying for the sick and casting out demons? Gifts of the Spirit. What's at stake if we don't press into the things of God? I'll tell you what's at stake. The salvation of a lost and a dying world. And you and I are going to be unprepared to meet Christ at his return. That's what's at stake. We need to grow. We need to develop the things, the life of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if anybody ever told you, but I am Pentecostal.